Welcome to the DL. This is the show where we talk about everything in the truck and equipment repair industry. It's my job to help inform and educate you on ways to help your business. We talk with technicians, business owners, associations, industry experts, manufacturers, and even a few you wouldn't think traditionally apply to your business. Welcome everyone to another episode of the DL. I'm your host, Tyler Robertson. And today we are gonna again talk about things that are coming in the near future. So we've all been hearing stories about electric vehicles, alternative energy vehicles, and of course, uh, autonomous driving, automatic driving and platooning and all these terminologies. And I thought, what better than to get a true expert in here that really knows what they're talking about. So we're gonna be hearing, we're gonna be talking to you a little bit from Mr. Richard Bishop, but let me give you his background a little bit first. So he's got about 30 years involved in the area of connected and intelligent vehicles. This includes cars, this includes trucks, and includes robo taxis. We'll be getting into all that. He sits as a chairman on the American Trucking Association with TMC Study Group for Automated Driving Study. He's an expert really when it comes to intelligent vehicle systems and he contributes regularly on Forbes.com, uh, especially regarding this area. Uh, in 2010, he co-produced a documentary called The Thinking Car, which is regarding crash avoidance systems, which we'll play in here. And we'll kind of explain to you how that all relates to what's going on in this industry. And he's worked at the federal level with uh, managed the US DOT's program for in-vehicle uh, highway automation R&D, established the National Automated Highway System Consortium. He's also established some international groups as well and is still involved in those councils. So with all that said, Richard Bishop, I hope I did a good job at least humble bragging you up here to everybody to explain a little bit about who you are. Yeah, that was fine, Tyler. And I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So let's let's just have a brief overview to everyone and explain what automated trucking is because we're starting to see headlines now about trucks making three day deliveries and and doing all these things and you know I know there's like electric we're not going to talk about the energy side let's talk about the autonomous side so what exactly is automated trucking and and why is it important to to our industry? Well, if if you're driving down the road five years from now, ten years from now, and it's mostly full of automated trucks it's not gonna look any different from driving down the road now and being next to trucks. Uh, the trucks are gonna operate the same way, et cetera. What's different is there's a computer system driving it and and not a, a regular truck driver. So, you know, I see the headlines, I follow the industry a lot. I see all of these startup company names that people that are traditionally in our industry have never heard about. Plus.ai, Embark, too simple, Waymo, they've heard of Uber, they've heard of Tesla, Amazon just bought Zooks, I think that's how you pronounce the name, they got about a billion dollars in funding this startup company that Amazon swallowed up. You know, there's a bunch more. What What's happened here? Is there a catalyst that happened all of a sudden? And, and, and why is so much money? I mean, it's literally billions flowing into this new technology that doesn't really exist today and people are trying to figure it out. Yes, what is the catalyst? Um, I think it's the startup culture that's, that's the catalyst. Uh, the engineering work and automated driving has been going on since the 1950s. General Motors was active, others in Japan and Europe. Uh, it's continued at sort of modest levels and with, with public money, for the most part, public money, government money supporting it. Uh, and the program I was running in the 1990s, National Automated Highway System Consortium, and uh, was led by GM with Carnegie Mellon, UC Berkeley, and there's been similar projects in Europe and Japan. So that was a good thing. Things were rolling in a good way. 
but it's very different when you're working with all private money. And so during the, the OOs were, were the DARPA challenges, the DARPA urban challenge that was still public money that was sort of motivating all that, but it was different. It was sort of prize oriented, not typical RFP and contract. And when that finished up, um, Google, sort of one of the huge original startups, decided this was cool. A regular corporation can't just say something's cool and, and poof, they go spend millions of dollars. But Google did that. Uh, it was a visionary move on, on the part of Larry Page, the co-founder. And, and that really busted it open um, because they set up a bunch of engineers who didn't have to deliver on a certain timeline, didn't have to generate revenue. They were doing something for society. Um, and that, this is what's important, that shifted the whole investment startup industry, which had been around a while, you know, that shifted them from only investing in software plays to software and hardware, i.e. vehicles, that just blew it open. Uh, and so you had Google come along and then these other companies that have jumped in, in, in China and, and others in Silicon Valley. And so that got us to this this energy and automated driving generally. Um, and, you know, it was very focused on robo-taxis early on, uh, Waymo in particular and Voyage and uh, Uber. And then, you know, things kind of slowed down there and the investors took a, took a breath and, you know, everybody kind of discovered what was in a way very obvious, man, the business case and the deployment approach is so much more straightforward if you're doing this with heavy trucks. Um, that's an established industry. With Robotex, you, you have to create a new industry, but trucks are trucks, freight is freight. Um, doing it on trucks just makes so much more sense. And you know, I can, I can say more about that, but that's, that's really what got us to where we are now. So I remember that when Google first said, hey, we're going to do this stuff with automated cars. I'm like, what the heck does Google have to do with cars having robots yeah. driving? <laughs> like, it made no Nothing. sense to me at the time. But yeah. I mean, that's Google and the mentality out there, right? Is, hey, there's a big industry here. And, you know, I, I saw that too. At first, it was all the, the auto guys and everyone kind of realized, wait a second, that's people just driving to jobs and or for leisure. Those trucks go using the same roads and they're actually using it to make a business. There makes much more financial incentive there. So I can see how that happened. And you mentioned in some of your your uh, blogs that you've written, I've seen some of your presentations, you mentioned the 2019 reset. And you said in 2019, things kind of got reset there. So it sounds like we had some government money that got it started, private money started going in, and then last year was the reset. Can you kind of explain to everyone what you mean when you call that the reset? Yeah, um, one, one little point I'll make going just to my previous comments, you know, the action in trucks, early on back in 2012, as early as 2012 was in the truck platooning world. And I know we'll talk about that later. That was Peloton technology getting started. But that was at a, a, a situation where you had a, a benefit in fuel economy, but you still had drivers in the cab. So that was where truck was for a while. And then this, what I call solo driverless trucks came up in the last uh, three, uh, three or four years. Uh, and, and as you say, and I've got a slide in my presentation that shows the logos of everybody active here, and it's, the slide's getting crowded. A lot <laughs> of companies, um, six or seven major ones in the U.S., all startups. Um, and so there was a point maybe two years ago where new truck self-driving startups were popping up every few months. And 
you know, and then they were all cranking along and it seemed they were all getting money, et cetera. But last, uh, back to the reset, the 2019 reset, um, we got to a, a, a couple of areas. The things were taking slower in general, taking longer in general for automated driving. And, you know, we're the whole Gartner height curve and kind of into the trough of disillusionment, which <clears throat> it might be disillusionment for the, the media players and the journalists. To me, it's engineers just being engineers and to get that last 1% of performance and readiness for the market takes a hell of a long time. That's what we've been doing, but it was quieter and less hypey in 2019. Um, and at the same time, one of the, um, you know, the funding became a little harder to come by. And uh, one of the more hypey companies, Starsky Robotics, actually went under. They, they tried to sell themselves to some of the other players out there, et cetera. Um, and they were a very unique company. Their approach was to use remote driving which a lot of people are skeptical of for highway speed operations. Uh, so one of my articles on Forbes, uh, this was last summer, was to say, look, it, does Starsky's failure mean the whole truck AV industry is, is dying? And my answer and many people I interviewed said, no, absolutely not. You know, the business case is strong and off we go. Uh, but we, we did go through in general, a reset of what I would call sobering up, just getting down to business. The business case is solid. It's just about moving on through there. And it, it was a little bit less hypey. Um, and more recently, um, this summer, there have been several leading voices saying there's going to be another wave of consolidation or possibly failures or acquisitions amongst these truck players because you have to have partnerships with pretty much with the traditional truck players, the truck OEMs or the tier one suppliers uh, to really take the next step. So let's talk about that for a second, because you, now you have an industry with traditional truck manufacturers making diesel engines, kind of doing their own thing. They're already having to deal with alternative energy trucks, hydrogen, electrical, electric trucks. And now we have autonomous and we have a ton of startup companies in that space but you're exactly right. Like you still have the truck manufacturers that need that technology. It's gonna it's gonna integrate somewhere somehow. So yeah. what are what are the OEMs doing? Are they just sitting there saying we're just gonna buy one of these guys when they get big enough? Are they like we're gonna make our own solution? Are they are they partnering? Because it's they, they gotta know what's above. coming, right? So what, what do they what do, what do you see happening right now? Yeah, it's all of the above. Um, the 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 trend over the last five years has been classic OEM. You know, here's this new idea that sounds crazy. Some uh, startups are working it, and the OEMs just kind of fold their arms and say, okay, let's see if these guys do anything. Uh, and with the car side, you know, that became a real deal. The, the Google RoboTaxi stuff and others convinced the, the car industry, General Motors uh, invested in cruise automation, other big investments. So the, the passenger car OEMs got in a few years after these startups uh, showed up. Same thing has happened for, for trucking. Uh, in different ways. Um, uh, Daimler, uh, Freightliner, decided they're going to go their own way. So they actually acquired a company, Torque Robotics, uh, and they are internally building their own automated truck system. They have amazing capability in Daimler, and I'm sure they can do that. Uh, Volvo Group is doing the same thing. They haven't acquired anybody external, but they've set up a, a, a new group that's uh, part Gothenburg, part uh, Silicon Valley. 
Um, and then uh, there's been announcements just very recently of, of Trayton, the uh, Volkswagen uh, truck group, which is Scan and uh, excuse me, uh, MAN, uh, Scania, and um, part of Navistar that uh, has partnered with the, the truck startup Too Simple to uh, to bring a product to market. So um, it's it's really a, a mix, and there's that's that's not the end of it. These these truck OEMs are talking to the leading startups. Uh, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, a lot more than what you see in the news. Yeah, I mean, I got to imagine this is a, you know, I don't know how big the market size is if you can ever get to that full, you know, level four autonomous. So, but on that note, let, can we break it down for everyone? Because there's really, as I understand it, four different levels of autonomous vehicles and advanced stuff yeah. here. Can you kind of break it down for everyone, like what those levels are and, and kind of where we're yeah. at now and how that works? Yeah, the uh, the official levels of automation are, are there are six six levels going from zero to five. And you know engineers were involved if they started with zero <laughs> instead of one. Uh, and engineers were involved, Society of Automotive Engineers. And, you know, it's really a simple spectrum that uh, on, on the zero end is driving as it's always been done, humans doing everything. And at the top end, the other end, level five, the human is doing nothing and the vehicle can go anywhere a human can drive. So in between, there's various sort of sharing between the human and the uh uh, the, the system, the a level two system, the Freightliner Cascadia, which is the, the most advanced thing out there, can operate at level two, which means that uh, bro both foot pedals and steering wheel are controlled by the system. The driver still has to um, pay attention to the road and keep their hands on the wheel. Um, a, a level three is where the system is fully driving for you, but you you can take your eyes off the road, but your brain has to be in the game because it may ask you to take over in the space of the next 20 seconds. And then the um, level four is the idea that within a limited environment, such as highway only, the system can completely uh, do the job of driving. Level five just means there's no limitations. You can go anywhere. Um, now, that's the spectrum that was just written for engineering purposes and to talk about this stuff. What's really happening is uh, nobody's in the truck industry. Level three doesn't have a business benefit. It means you still need a, a trained and paid truck driver there to be ready to take over. And you're paying for all this technology that drives at least some of the time. So they're skipping level three. <clears throat> and we're really talking about um, level four systems where driverless trucks uh, can move freight. Uh, there's no need to pay, uh, you know, the labor costs for a driver. And so that's why, you know, that's what drives the business case. Yeah, so I was really impressed. I watched a video on a, uh, it was a news media outlet. They did a test drive on the new Freightliner Cascadia that had all the advanced ADAS stuff and the, you know, self-driving to, to what it is. And it was amazing to see they actually could get that vehicle to go to a full stop when there was a, an object in front of them. They were literally driving down the freeway and they could keep their hands off the steering wheel for like 60 seconds before it started beeping yeah. angrily at them and, and that type of thing. So it's really cool to see it actually in action and, and where we're at. But you mentioned it a little bit earlier in the conversation. I, I think you said like the 1% they have to go still. And I, I read a couple of your articles and you basically... The way I understood it is that first 99%, you got to get there. But at the end of the day, these are 80,000 pound trucks that are driving around and could kill a lot of people if something goes bad. 
So right. how hard is that last 1% and how much government regulation plays into this whole thing if, if people want to get mm-hmm. that level? Because I, I got to imagine it, it's going to be a slow boat to change the, the wheels of government when it comes to some of these laws and regulations that are in place. Yeah, there's, there, those are two big questions. Remind me about the government side if, if I forget. Um, but that last 1%, there's, there's a couple of ways to think about that. One is, you know, when a, when a new truck model is announced by an OEM now, it has to operate everywhere a truck driver wants to drive it. Uh, and, you know, whatever the weather conditions are, road conditions, uh, terrain, you name it. <clears throat> but with the current situation, uh, these, these uh, startups don't have to do it that way. They can start in the most benign environments out there. And that's why you hear about testing in Arizona, basically the Southwest, Texas, New Mexico. Um, and they will gradually move towards, um, you know, the full range of weather conditions, et cetera. But they don't have to do that for initial launch. So um, it's not like you have to launch for 100%. You can launch for 1% of freight runs and start, you know, doing a service and earning money. Uh, so we'll see that in terms of the launch. But the other end of that is the safety side. You do have to do the last 1% on safety. This has become a, an extremely uh, involved and sophisticated technical expertise. Um, thousands of engineers have worked this really hard in the last five years in particular, adopting processes that were previously used for aviation, et cetera. Um, it is a very sophisticated process. Um, it's, um, it's process-based in the sense of looking at all that might go wrong and how do you have countermeasures and do you have redundancy, for instance. Uh, redundancy is really important. Uh, the, the, the truck OEMs that are building for level four automation know they have to have redundant steering, redundant braking, redundant throttle, redundant power source, all of these things. So that's what's going to take a while. It's it's um, engineering. The engineers know what to do. Uh, it's a matter of applying the engineering effort, and that takes time and eats up the calendar. Um, and and they'll get there. We're looking at about 2024 is is what Navistar has said, where they'll be ready with the the fully redundant level four ready tractor. Um, so I'm, I, I tend to be an optimist on, on this. I, I think the engineers will get there, um, uh, whether it's OEMs or, or startups. Um, there's one company, only one company so far has stated a, a specific time frame, and that's too simple. And they're saying uh, next year they will have their first driver out uh, operations, first time moving freight without a driver on a public highway. Um, and I expect that that will be done in the most benign environment possible, uh, you know, lowest traffic, best weather, um, very well-known route, very simple route, that kind of thing. But it's still an important milestone uh, if and when that happens. Uh, they're going to do that by retrofitting the redundancy needed, uh, as my last article said. And uh, that's, that's one way to do it, but everybody in the industry agrees you can't scale up that way. You have to have a factory-built truck to do that. Um, I'll, I'll go to the government in a minute, but any, any questions or follow-up on, on you that know, point? So we've been doing a lot of studying on, on ADAS because of all the calibration commands are needed now when you replace components or your windshield or your shock absorbers or whatever. So I yeah. personally have read through all the ADAS manuals for Bendix, Detroit Assurance, and Wabco, and I come away from that and I'm like, 
man, you can't, you know, they're concerned about reflections from guardrails. They're concerned around sharp corners. They, they're concerned about too much ice or snow. And it seems like there's a lot that you have to be concerned about and those the way those systems work. And I see the way they work today. And then I see the articles about autonomous driving. I'm like, man, it just seems like this is what I see and this is what I read in the news. It seems like there's a big disconnect there between there. But like you said, I think there's a lot going on in the background that, you know, a lot of us don't get to see in the public and everything. But I'd also like to hear your your other side of it on the whole government side. Like, how does how does the government view this? And is this a state thing? Is this a federal thing? Where where does that land? Yeah, this is uh, interesting. And it's, it's kind of a, a wild west in some ways. Um, the way the U.S. regulations work is if if a particular device or system is not prohibited, it is permitted. Um, and Europe is the reverse. If it's not permitted, it's prohibited. So the U.S. is the most open environment for this technology because all of the regulations written about vehicles, whether car or truck, they're completely silent about automated driving because no one would have written them that way when they were passed years ago. Um, what that means is at the federal level, you can put a driverless truck on the road right now. <laughs> and the federal government has uh, issued guidance to say that that is the case. However, uh, there is the state level uh, and it gets a little bit fuzzy between the state and federal boundaries, but states essentially reserve the right to um, uh, deny, deny automated trucks or, or explicitly allow them or be silent on it. So that's a hodgepodge. It's uh, and that lack of uniformity is a problem that the uh, automated truck industry is is working on. Uh, some advocate that for automation in general uh, and specifically to automation, the federal government should preempt the states, um, and that would be giving more power to the federal government than it's had before in this sense. But there's the rationale that it works better that way um, for uh, automated vehicles. So let's talk about the one that I, I think is really interesting. That's platooning. And when I, when I first heard the platooning, I kind of you know saw it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But now I've been thinking about it more. It seems like an interesting thing. Um, can you just explain to everyone what, what platooning is? And there's some different yeah. strategies there on, on how that could work as well with the number of drivers you need, number of trucks and, and that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, truckers draft on each other now when they have the opportunity. Um, many feel that they they cut corners on safety when they do that. If that first truck has a hard braking, there's going to be a collision. Um, but so it's a thing that's out there. So this the platooning is really sort of like drafting on steroids. You're able to get very close behind another truck and do so safely. And that is it's enabled by a vehicle to vehicle communication, a special radio connection. Uh, that's uh, very, very fast in, in, a, in a tenth of a second. Uh, it can take care of anything that needs to happen uh, in terms of coordinating those two trucks. So essentially, the, in the first generation platooning, the brakes and the throttle are completely synchronized between two trucks. There's a, a regular driver driving in a regular way in the front truck. Uh, the rear truck, the uh, driver in that truck, um, their feet don't have to do anything, they're steering, they're monitoring the road, you know, they'll initiate a lane change if they feel they need to. It's not that strange or unusual uh, of a role for the driver. That allows them to run at um, at, 60 at 60 miles an hour, it's something like uh, 30 feet, 40 feet, which is, you know, typical truckers, even when they're drafting, they're up at over 100 feet. 
So the the uh, fuel economy benefits are huge. It's four percent for the front truck under those conditions, and um, uh, what is it? Ten percent for the rear truck. So. Uh, in essence, a, a total of 14% over uh, two trucks or 7% average. And that's at those specific conditions. If you're running a little faster or a shorter or a longer gap, it's going to change. But as, as you know, in the trucking industry, a few percent in fuel economy is a big deal. And here we're talking, you know, huge numbers. And that's what's driving it. Yeah, so that really surprised me when I read that and heard your presentation on that, that the lead truck actually gets a 4%, even though it's the one pushing all the air, but it's the turbulence and everything behind it. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I got my wife a newer vehicle, right? And it has the adaptive cruise control and the automatic braking and all that. And I'm like, you know, I never used it before, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to set the cruise here and just go down the freeway on this trip and just see what happens. And you know what? It was pretty dang nice not having to touch the, the touch the pedals at all. And it just, it just kept me right there where I needed to go. But what about cut-ins? I mean, that's the big concern, right? You got oh, your yeah. two trucks platooning, you get 40 feet between them and some four-wheeler decides to, to eke in there to hit an exit ramp or something. Like how, yeah. is that well, a problem? Is it legit? Uh, it will happen. You know, we all know better than to say it's not going to happen. The four-wheeler is going to do whatever they're going to do. Um, the So the system has to be able to handle that, and it does. There's there's uh, the Peloton technology approach. They're the ones that are bringing this level one to the market, at least being public about it. Uh, some OEMs might be as well, but they haven't publicized anything. Um, but the um, the system will, will detect that car coming in and... You know, some people assume, oh, that means it decouples and leaves it to the driver to handle that. No way, because the, those two trucks are way too close together for a human to handle it with a car in between. So the system initiates a process to back away from the other truck and make room for that car and will hand control back to that rear truck driver when the distances are safe. Um, and as needed, they'll, they'll just reconnect. You know, it's not a big deal if it has to be done. Uh, but here's a couple of interesting points. One is that, as I said, that rear truck driver is very engaged in the driving task and is is, is watching other traffic. And, and, you know, it's usually pretty evident when someone wants to get over. They're kind of hovering right there at the gap. So they'll frequently, they're trained, according to Peloton, they're trained to uh, open up that gap as a courtesy. So the system doesn't have to do it, the driver does. And by and large, that's that's what happens. Uh, there's some um, there's some trial data, customer trial data that Peloton has released. There's been two uh, field trials in Europe that with similar results. Cut-ins are happening at about every um, 600 miles of driving uh, in terms of the system having to do it because the drivers are handling it. And um, and and the other one of the other findings in in the European trial in, in uh, Bavaria in Germany. The drivers preferred the closer gaps uh, so that there were fewer cut-ins. Uh, many have thought drivers are going to hate being that close behind another truck, but they actually preferred the closer gaps because they didn't have to, you know, be concerned about the cut-in effect. And this is with the two-truck platoon. With only two trucks, you can imagine that the, the car drivers are going to see that and, you know, it's not that hard to make a choice to just get behind the, the two trucks and, and wait, wait to get off that ramp or whatever. So can they, is platooning expandable? Could it, could it go past two trucks? Can you just keep daisy chaining that thing and put four trucks, five trucks, 10 trucks? Is that is that in the cards um, for that technology? Yeah, I mean, uh, engineering wise, yes, you can do it. Uh, it gets harder the more trucks you have, but not 
not it's not undoable. Um, the uh, there is the issue of the nature of freight. You know, how often are ten trucks going to be going <laughs> to the same place at the same time? Maybe, yeah. uh, but you know, from a when you when you turn it around the other way. Well, if you've got this incredibly cool benefit for really new technology with only two trucks, why push it to three or four or more? You know, let's launch the market with two trucks. Why freak out the regulators? Why freak out the public if they're going to be freaked out? And then, and you're also fitting much, much better with hub-to-hub type operations that are so common out there. Uh, two or three trucks are being dispatched within minutes of each other now because of the hub-to-hub nature. Um, so that's how it's going to start. And when I spoke of, you know, the government or the public being freaked out, uh, I've been in uh, demos with officials with various states and federal officials and, and platooning demonstrations. And it feels really quite, quite normal and natural at a, about a 60 foot gap. And if you look at the other cars on the road, nobody's paying attention. They're just kind of cruising down the road. So I, I don't think there's going to be a, it's not going to be a big deal to the other road users to have these out there. Well, I, I know I'm only one guy. My opinion matters nothing in this whole thing. But I really, I view platooning as kind of what you're talking about makes a lot of sense because now it's not a bunch of robots driving cars. Yeah, there's robots keeping the distances close and, and doing all those things. But you still, you're not freaking out your employees. You still got drivers. You still got loads to haul. You're getting a fuel benefit out of it, which has an immediate ROI. And it's not like there's a ton of new technology going on that, that everyone's seeing and noticing. So to me, to me, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. But Daimler Chrysler last year, Daimler said, no, we're not going to do this. We're kind of abandoning our research and that, that whole strategy. Can you give any insights kind of why, what conclusion they came to or, or what the line of thinking is there? Yeah, uh, Daimler and Freightliner were very active out there testing platooning, et cetera. Uh, and, and in early 2019, they, they did make that statement. But the full statement was, we might come back to it if we see the, you know, some, some value down the road. <clears throat> um, and I and I think that's a key point. The uh, I, and I think the other part of this was that um, uh, and Daimler has to look at their global market, and uh, the road situation in Europe is not as conducive to platooning because uh, they they require the trucks to always stay in the right lane. They require the trucks to go, I think, a maximum of 87 kilometers per hour. We all know that is super slow compared to the U.S. situation. So the market in the U.S. is super good. And I'm guessing, knowing the guys I know at Freightliner, that they were really frustrated to see that program in because they knew that there's good stuff happening. That's just my speculation. But Daimler made a global market decision. Um, Other OEMs, you know, haven't said anything either way. And but this brings me to the second generation of platooning, which is a vastly different animal. It's the idea that that second truck is completely unmanned. So you've got a drone follower in essence. Uh, now that completely shifts the business case. Obviously the benefits are both fuel and labor savings. And um, that's, and I've been in discussions with lots of OEM guys in Europe, that's, that's gonna shift the equation uh, substantially. It doesn't so much matter if you're in the, if you're in uh, the German Autobahn and you're in the far right lane and you're going 80 kilometers an hour, you're, you, you're having one driver carry two loads, you know, handle two trucks and that's a huge benefit. So what we call, we call that level four followers, this idea that the truck can 
drive on its own, but it's very different than the solo driverless world where a truck is out there all by itself, no humans around to help. With uh, <clears throat> the level four follower, you've got a human in the front truck can handle any kind of weirdness that's going on, uh, you know, work zone, things like that. And that rear truck doesn't have the technological uh, need to look at everything. It's really just monitoring that gap between the two trucks, receiving data from the front truck. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a stepping stone towards the full autonomy. And that's the pitch made by the, the, the folks working on this. And that's Peloton technology and a newer startup called Locomotion. So I know in the industry, we've been talking about the on-highway trucks. That's been a lot of our conversation today, but there's other applications out there as well, right? So I, I've heard militaries trying to do stuff so they can convoy things and move move themselves around much quicker and more efficiently. I know the off-highway world's trying to do autonomous earth-moving equipment to dig basements and, and do stuff and farm tractors are kind of already doing it. But then you also have like the shipyards and you have the, the, the local yardage areas where they're not actually going out on the road. They're just kind of in there. Can you speak a little bit about some of the other application uses you see autonomous trucks besides that freeway yeah. driving? I'd say that's one of the headlines in the last couple of years is it, it's be expanding beyond uh, just the highway. Um, there's there's four sort of types of uh, operating environments. Uh, one of them is controlled environments. So that's the ports. It might be a logistic yard. Um, and there, there's activity there. There's a company called Outrider that's based in Golden, Colorado. They are um, they have automated and are now trialing um, these these um, yard jockey type trucks that move move trailers around uh, between loading dock doors and a trailer storage yard uh, all day long. Um, of course, humans have been doing this for a while. Uh, it's uh, it, there's the labor costs there. It's the, these situations tend to be come kind of complex and chaotic as the humans are doing it. Uh, and yet it's a pretty consistent, um, you know, limited geographic area. It, it really fits automation pretty well. So you can go to outrider.ai and you'll see their trucks moving around. The first thing people bring up when you say that is, well, wait a minute, what about the brake lines? You yep. can't just roll up to a trailer and take it away. Somebody's got to connect those brake lines. And they've done that with uh, actually a robotic arm that grabs the brake line and hooks them up to the trailer. Um, so, so there's other companies working in that area too. But this is one that's going to move quickly because uh, to the logistics companies, uh, Georgia Pacific, for instance, is working with Outrider. Uh, they see huge benefits here of more efficient operations, uh, fewer minor crashes, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that world, you know, controlled environments. Um, another world is, uh, of course, there's the street side of things when you talk freight very generally. So if I'm talking about parcel delivery or food delivery, then uh, you get all the delivery robots in the game. Um, <clears throat> or for instance, UPS uh, has started to work with Waymo. They're having Waymo um, vans, the same vans that Waymo is testing in Arizona and California to carry people around. They're, those vans are going to UPS retail stores, picking up all those boxes taking them to the sorting center, wherever it is, several miles away. And that's completely intended in the future to be a completely driverless operation. So that's the street level. Um, and, and then as you get into more uh, more higher speed operations, there's the, the resource roads. 
the my best example is the uh, the, the forestry operations in Canada and Quebec. Uh, you've got roads going 30, 40, 50 kilometers from a, uh, a cut field where the, the trees are being felled and taken to a sawmill. Um, they're on unpaved roads that aren't in great shape, uh, lots of curves, et cetera, but they have a driver shortage. They're not concerned about fuel economy, but they have a, a driver shortage and they want to do auto follow platooning so that that first truck driver can handle two trucks on this run. Fundamentally, they're public roads, but they're very lightly traveled. And so there's a sense that this can be done. There's a group called uh, FP Innovations, who is um, a think tank for the forestry industry. And they're initiating a program with some of the tech developers to, to actually adapt what's being developed for the highway and bring it to this setting. And there's similar things. I mean, the Army uh, example is, is another one. And who knows what kinds of roads, but they want to have more drivers or more trucks per driver, more loads per driver. Um, and um, the the word is the Army is going to release an RFP for thousands of these uh, platoon-capable vehicles. There's already in, in the hundreds now um, based on a, a contract of robotic research, and there there will be a lot more is, is the word on the street. And then the last area is the one we've been talking about. It's the highway world, and uh, obviously the the, the the market is huge. Uh, the business case is strong. There's um, you know, there's two two flavors. There's the platooning world, and then there's the solo driverless world. And the truck industry is so big and so diverse. There's there's plenty of room for everybody, uh, and that's that's where the the bulk of the money is going. Well, I'll tell you, I think I could sit here all day and talk to you about all this new technology and new stuff. It's, it's to me, it's super interesting. I landed on your on your uh, blog and read a bunch of your uh, articles on Forbes. Uh, if anyone hasn't come away from this understanding that this is the world you live and breathe and you're really one of the foremost experts in it. So I, I very much appreciate coming on and, and talking with us today. If someone wants to reach out to you, what what's the best way to get hold of you? I think LinkedIn is great. Just look for Richard Bishop. You'll find me. Awesome. Well, we'll put some links in the show notes for everybody. So again, Richard, thank you very much for being on the show. So as we wrap it up, obviously diesel laptops are some diagnostic tools to human driving, driven trucks today that are running on diesel. I have a sneaking suspicion in the not so distant future, it may be alternative energy vehicles with robots driving the trucks as well, but it'll still be diagnostics done right here at diesel laptops in any of those situations. So again, thank you everyone for watching. Have a great day and it has been a great episode.